I I can I can do anything I want. And the worst thing that happens, truly, I think I, I don't think people realize if this doesn't work out, I could go, you know, live with my parents or I could go back to Facebook. It really didn't in my head. It wasn't that big of a risk. The biggest bigger risk was to look back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now and say, like, man, I really wish I had made the leap. This is Debbie, and welcome to another episode of The Offbeat Life, where I speak to inspiring individuals who ditched the norm to become location independent. We'll learn how to create sustainable laptop lifestyles from the experts that will help us achieve freedom from our 9 to 5. Hey friend, are you looking to land a remote gig ASAP? Well, did you know that we not only have a ton of online jobs you can apply to on our site, but now we are also sending them straight to your inbox. I'm happy to announce that we will be sending our email subscribers legit online jobs every Wednesday. We have done hours of research so you don't have to. If you want to be the first one to hear about the remote gigs we find, go to theoffbeatlife.com to subscribe. On this episode, I speak with Ish, who is an ex-Facebook software engineer and the founder and CEO at Virtually, an online school builder that brings together live conferencing, payment processing, and student management in one place. So listen on to find out how Ish has been able to build an online platform that helps educate people around the world. Hey everyone, thank you so much for being here. I am really excited for my guest today. I'm here with Ish. Hey Ish, how are you? Hey Debbie, I'm doing great. How are you? I'm good. So it's been a while since we spoke to each other, but you and I, you know, we go way back. (laughs) Like maybe a year. (laughs) But together on a few different projects. It's, It's been super fun. I know. I love working with Ish and I'm really excited to be able to share your story today. So can you tell us about you and why you live an offbeat life? Yeah, totally. So my name's Ish. I'm the founder and CEO of Virtually, which is a platform to help people run cohort-based live online courses powered by Zoom. Uh, So a little bit about my background. I, I graduated from University of Michigan 2016 with my master's in 2017, ran my first venture back startup out of LA, right out of school. Uh, left that after about six months, worked at Facebook as a software engineer after about two years, but the startup world was just calling to me. And so after about a year and a half, I had just had to bail and, and try something new. And uh, that's when I began my journey to becoming a full-time entrepreneur. And uh, I'm fortunate enough to continue to be able to do that every single day. Well, that was a lot. So the thing about you, Ish, is that You're so young and you were able to accomplish all of these things already, right? And I think as we grow older and we get stuck in a nine to five, maybe, or maybe in that mentality where we think that it's too late for us, it gets harder and harder to try something new. But you, you left a job with Facebook, you bailed out on that, and you started something on your own. Now, was there ever any hesitation before you did that, or it was just something that you knew you had to do? You know what, Debbie? It is one of the most terrifying decisions anybody can make to quit you know, a stable job, and especially a job with as good of pay and as good of perks as something like Facebook. But for me, I did not even hesitate. And I think a lot of it really has to do with my upbringing. Um, so actually, my, my family and I immigrated here about 20 years ago. And uh, 
my mom, despite having a master's in English, actually spent her first year bagging groceries. And, and my dad did telecommunications. They, they both worked like two, three jobs. We had one car that they shared. And so they really you know, went through the immigrant experience. And, and I saw this firsthand and I saw how hard it was. And it was only through sheer perseverance and will, both my parents worked they, their way up to what they're doing now, which my mom, she's, she's an engineering manager at a healthcare IT company. Again, she studied English and now she's an engineering manager. And my, my dad, he's, he's a director at a pharmaceutical company. And so they've just been my biggest inspiration. You know, it's it, having literally lived like in somebody else's basement when we moved here all the way up to having like, you know, a four bedroom home. Like I will never take that for granted. And, and so my, my parents put me in this such an amazing position. They gave me everything. They gave me this safety net. And so the only thing I could think is like, when I was at Facebook is like, Hey, I will regret it if I don't take advantage of this huge opportunity that, you know, my parents gave to me, which is that like, I can do anything I want. And the worst thing that happens truly, I think, I, I don't think people realize how protected they really are. Is like, if this doesn't work out, I could go, you know, live with my parents or I could go back to Facebook. It really didn't, in my head, it wasn't that big of a risk. The biggest, bigger risk was to look back, you know, 10, 15, 20 years from now and say like, man, I really wish I had made the leap. And so I just did it. I, uh, you know, I, I calculated out exactly how long I would have to work at Facebook up until I would have enough savings to go a year without a salary. Once I could do that, then I would quit. And I calculated out that day to be March 8th, 2019. And that just happened to be my last day at Facebook. Wow. It's also great to hear that you planned it out, right? Because a lot of people think that when you take a huge leap and jump from something like a corporation, a huge corporation like Facebook, you know, you, it's just, you know, spur of the moment. But, and for someone like you, who's analytical like you think things through first like it doesn't have to be like that you you can do that and also do something that's riskier and you could take a lot of that risk out if you just plan it but I want to go back to when you decided you left and you told your parents what was their reaction like (laughs) to leaving Facebook yes yeah yeah honestly I think I think they knew it coming I had been kind of dropping hints left and right and they've always known that I've been entrepreneurial. Like I, right before I actually joined Facebook, I was working at a venture back startup or my, my first one that I had founded. And, you know, if things had gone better there, I don't think I would have gone to Facebook. And I think, you know, that would have, you know, made them a little bit uneasy, especially, you know, when you're immigrants, having stable income is, is it's, it's the dream. It's what you work your entire life towards. And to have, you know, their their son give that up, especially at a company as prestigious as Facebook, definitely made them a little bit uneasy. But I think they understood that it was just like, for me, there was nothing more fulfilling than going out on my own and, and building something from scratch. So yes, they were definitely a little bit uneasy, but I'm sure it helped them to know that, hey, I had a plan. You know, I, I knew that, hey, like, if things didn't work out immediately, Facebook had this policy that, you know, if you come back within six months to a year, no harm done. They won't even interview oh. you anymore. You can just come back and return in your old position. And the other thing was I had this plan in terms of like, hey, I have you know money saved in the bank. I'm not going to need a salary. 
And if I do make enough progress, I can raise some venture funding, which is exactly what I did. Nine months in, we had enough progress in, in the product that we could go to venture capitalists. And, you know, fortunately, we found one that was a really good fit. And they gave us about $300,000. And that was enough to get us started. And, and since then, we've, ha- we've raised a few more venture rounds. Yeah, that's sustained the business. Let's talk more about that and how you actually went from leaving, saving up your money and actually getting a company to invest in your idea and your business. Because this is what a lot of entrepreneurs want, right? But it looks really hard. You know, that's a lot of money to get. And you were able to do that within a few months of going off on your own. What do you think you did in order to make this happen? Yeah, of course. So venture funding is something that's very interesting. And I don't think it's the path that everybody should pursue. To to basically get venture funding, you need to sell this, this big vision to investors and say like, hey, this is going to be massive. This is going to be a billion dollar outcome. And you need to have a really compelling story of why this market is huge, why you are the right person to help build this product, and lastly, show traction. Not, not that this is hypothetical. Show that you've put in the work and you've discovered something that nobody else knows. If you have these three elements, you won't have a problem. You can, you can go out and raise uh, venture capital. And so that's exactly what I did. I, I could have, you know, I think somebody with my background, uh, I, I do have um, the ability to get in contact with some of these uh, VCs a little bit easier, you know, having, you know, worked at a big tech company. But I didn't immediately go out and try to raise venture capital. Instead, what I decided was like, hey, I want to, I just don't want to raise money for the sake of raising money. I want to be very sure that I have clarity in terms of direction that I'm going. And so I spent the first nine months of starting virtually just heads down, just iterating on different ideas. I knew that I was drawn to education and specifically online education, uh, but the exact format of that and the exact space I was going to innovate in wasn't entirely clear. So I was heads down for nine months trying a lot of different things. And only when we had finally found like a little bit of traction where things started to work did I pull my head out of the sand. I was like, hey, you know, this is interesting. I think there's a big opportunity here. Let's see if investors are interested. And I booked a flight down to San Francisco and I got as many friends of mine in the startup world as possible to make some introductions to, to some VCs. I went around town, you know, early day, in the morning, I would, I would get up and take meetings all day long. And I did this for about a week or a week and a half. And eventually, um, you know, we got a bite. <laughs> uh, yeah, that uh, the rest is history. It's always interesting to speak to someone like you, Ish, who just does it, right? You are an action taker. You definitely had a vision to make your company become a reality, but it's another thing to actually take that action. And I'm really interested on what you do to prepare, especially with your mindset, right? Because there's so much that happens behind the scenes. And I'm sure you have a ton of stories for us, but there's always going to be setbacks and failures that you experience. And it kind of sometimes will push you down. How do you manage that and still keep going and really push through even when things like that happen? Yeah, that that's a great question. And that's one thing I tell founders is that when you start 
working on a company, when you go out on your own, there's two types of runway you have. You have your monetary run rate, which is eventually you're going to run out of money. And so you won't be able to keep doing this. The other one is your emotional runway. And that is basically how long you can kind of tolerate failure before you give up. And so it's really important to create momentum as quickly as possible. Unfortunately, humans don't have infinite emotional runway. Like you can only get beat up so many times. And so you need to find a way to make something work. And so it's not about failing. It's about systematically failing, right? It's, it's when you fail, you should know what you learned and then iterate and adapt to that. I think a lot of people, especially in Silicon Valley, have kind of glorified failure. And it's, it's not, if it's not done in a very systematic way, it's not useful, right? So starting a company, I think, is like being a research scientist. You have to find a fundamental truth that nobody else knows. And to do that, you have to have hypotheses. You have to run experiments. And then once you have results, you have to evaluate and you have to come up with what's your next plan of attack. And if you're able to do this, you know, very quickly, then you can create momentum. And once you have momentum, once you have customers, when you have people paying you, then guess what? It's not hard to get up in the morning and work because, hey, people are depending on you. And especially when you have employees, right? It's like, <laughs> you gotta take care of these people. Now we have people, you have, we're a team of five and, you know, we have full-time salaries and health insurance that we're providing. You know, if, if you know, I'm not delivering every single day, it, it affects those people. So uh, creating momentum, I think, is really important. And and the other thing I'll add is just like it starts with the fundamentals, right? Unless your you know mental and physical health is in a good place, you're not going to be able to tolerate failure and overcome hurdles. And so, uh, more than anything, I found a way to really not give up sleep, exercise, and nutrition. Uh, once you have these three things, everything else falls into place. And so, no matter what, even if I had like a really strict deadline or you know something something was coming up that I needed to get done, always make room for sleep, nutrition, and exercise. It's really interesting that you mentioned that, Ish, because for high performers like you, those three things are super, super important, right? To be able to accomplish as much as you do. And, you know, I I think I've spoken to people and they're like, yeah, when you start a business, you're not going to have time for any of that. But like you said, if you systemize things, you will, you're going to have time for all of that. And it helps you actually through your day because it starts it well, whether you're doing in the morning, you have a morning routine or all of that. But it's, it's so good to hear that, that you don't have to be unhealthy in order to succeed. No, no, that's, that's a really good point. And I, I honestly don't believe the idea of I don't have enough time. It's, it's, you do have enough time. It's just about your priorities. And you're, you're choosing to not make these things your priority, which, by the way, is, is detrimental because it's starting any sort of venture, whether it's a lifestyle business, whether it's a restaurant, whether it's a venture-backed startup, it's a marathon. It's not a sprint. And what good are you doing if you burn out, right? So it's it's important to realize that innovation really happens over a long period of time. Like if you actually look at you know some of the best companies to date, something like Airbnb, they spent three years without any traction. They were barely making money, barely getting by, and then they just blew up. And so being able to persist over a long period of time, that is where most people lack. And you know I think one of my favorite books. It's, it's a really short book, and it, it's one of Seth Godin's fa- uh, most famous books, is, is The Dip. 
And the idea is that so many people will, you know, see these early benefits and that's what motivates them. And then over time, they'll enter this like extended period of basically failure and he mm-hmm. falls at the dip. And most people, this is where they quit. So he says, this is the most ridiculous thing ever. If you're going to start something, it's really important to see it through or don't start it at all and, and focus your energy elsewhere. So yeah, that's, that's what I'd have to say. <laughs> yeah. And I think it's really easy to quit, right? When, when that happens, but it's, it's actually even harder to keep going. And I think that's why most people, like you said, they just, they just go off once they hit that dip. And that's a good point. But you know what? It actually also narrows down the people that it's really for because it's not entrepreneurship is not for everybody. No one is going, not everyone is going to be able to do this, right? And having a nine to five is not a bad thing if it's what you want to do, right? So we're not saying you should do this, but if you do want to do this, (laughs) don't give up when it gets hard. (laughs) Absolutely. So Ish, you talked about immigrating with your family. How was that like? Do you still go abroad with your with your family and friends? How is this balancing this life? Because you are a CEO of your company before COVID and, you know, obviously after COVID. How are you managing to do this and still having like a personal life? Yeah, um, well, <laughs> I think for one thing that helps a ton is uh, that I'm back on the East Coast now. And so my dad's in Boston, my mom's in DC. So it's a lot easier to get to them uh, without actually having to take a plane. So uh, yeah, just using rental cars and, and public transportation to get up and down the East Coast for the most part. But again, I think, um, you know, we're, we're in a time where the world is more connected than it's ever been. And through FaceTime and, and, you know, Zoom calls. It's, it's been a good way to stay in touch with everyone. Yeah. Thank God. Can you imagine a hundred years ago when they had their own like pandemic and they couldn't do anything? Oh my God. That was worse. <laughs> That's why we're so lucky that, you know, if we had to go through this, at least it's 2020. <laughs> exactly. Absolutely. So can you tell me some favorite places that you have been to? Where, where is your family from? Where did you guys immigrate from? Yeah, so we immigrated from India. So I was born in India, spent about five years there, then ultimately moved here to uh, North America. I spent some time in Canada and then then moved to the States. Have you ever gone back to, to India? Yeah, yeah. I went back four years ago, 2016, uh, and visited my extended family. Wow. Do you have a lot of family in the U.S. as well, or most of them are in India? Actually, most of my most of my family's in India. It's just my like immediate family: my mom, my dad, my sister that are here in the states. Oh wow, that's crazy! But I'm sure when you went back there, it was like a huge party, right? That usually happens. <laughs> yeah, no, we we were doing a lot of traveling, running around everywhere to make sure we see everyone. Uh, yeah, it was it was super fun. <laughs> I know. I love when I go back to the Philippines. It's like a party every single day and it's like a parade of food. It's amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, no. It, it was a really good time and uh, definitely hoping to be able to see them all real soon. This was supposed to be the year of lots of international travel. I had a, I had a trip to Italy booked. I was supposed to spend uh, a month living in Thailand and then wow. visit extended family after that, but uh, never, uh, never came to be. 
yeah, COVID it was like, nope, not gonna happen this year. Try again next time. <laughs> exactly. So Ish, with you, because you do own a company, but it is remote, you can literally work from anywhere. You can even live abroad. Like you said, you wanted to spend some time maybe in Thailand or anywhere, really. When you do travel, what type of international insurance do you typically use? Yeah, that's a good question, Debbie. Uh, for my Italy trip, I was looking uh, for uh, some sort of international insurance because I know how important that is. But I uh, ultimately... Didn't really find anything, and eventually the trip got canceled. So I think in the past international trips, I don't think I've used any uh, international insurance. But yeah, I, I I definitely plan to next time I uh, go abroad. I hear that a lot from digital nomads. Is after COVID, they're like, I'm definitely getting an insurance because you don't know what's going to happen, and as a remote worker. It can also be a real headache, and then to find out the different requirements of what you need because it's a little different, right? When it comes to health insurance, and that's why I'm really excited that I found Integra Global because they have super comprehensive plans. They don't ask their members to build a plan because how would we know what we even need, right? So their insurance covers everything, and it is built in. That things that you didn't even think that you need. So if you guys want to know more, check out integraglobal.com and see how they can give you the coverage you'll need and, you know, something that you may not have even thought of because who knew that COVID was going to happen? And I do have to say, Integra actually covered people during COVID and when they were all trying to come home. Like, I've heard so many horror stories-ish of people and their insurance didn't cover it or they got sick and they just wouldn't do it and they had to spend like thousands of dollars. So I can't even imagine being stranded in a different country and you have no insurance and you're already scared. That is a horrible feeling. So I'm like, oh my God, that's crazy. <laughs> yeah, that would be terrifying. <laughs> but yeah, that's why we love Integra Global just because of that alone, right? And with many more things. So Ish, what are some of the best resources can you share with us? I know you shared one book with us, but is there anything else that you think we can really use to help us start a business online or maybe just have, because I feel like a lot of it is our mental roadblock, right? I don't know if you like read something, listen to something that would be super helpful for us. Yeah, totally. Uh, I think specifically the resource that is the best out there for founders looking to start companies is probably uh, Y Combinator's startup school. Debbie, are you familiar with Y Combinator by any chance? No, no. Tell us more. Yeah. So Y Combinator is a startup accelerator. And essentially, they have this amazing three-month program where in exchange for, it's about 7% of your company, you get about $125,000 of funding. And it has had some really amazing reputable programs go go through it, uh, including Airbnb, Dropbox, Reddit, Instacart, DoorDash. Again, this is when these companies were literally just one or, one and two people, and they were just getting off the ground. Uh, so the mentorship is absolutely incredible. Anyway, they've they've put together this program, and and for people who are even earlier in this in their journey, people who are just getting off the ground, they have something called Startup School, which is a, it's an online course. It's completely free. And you basically get to network with other other founders and you get access to all their mentorship and advice. Uh, it's basically everything minus the funding. And then once you've actually made enough progress on your company, you can apply to their, their core program. 
and uh, apply for that funding. And uh, over time, the hope is that you can get in. And I, uh, for me, I, I actually went through startup school three separate times. I've been, wow. you know, really excited about entrepreneurship, and they really know the fundamentals that it takes to build and scale a venture-backed startups. And so the advice and knowledge on, in YC Startup School's uh, resource library is just invaluable. And again, the resources are completely free. You could go and access the, their entire library today. And so, yeah, I recommend going to the program. I think that's where we got our start. And then ultimately, when we applied to the core program this year, we we finally got in. And so we actually did receive the $125,000 of funding. And then ultimately that leads up to Demo Day, which is their big investor event where you get to pitch to 2,000 investors live and ultimately have the chance to raise a multi-million dollar seed round, which is uh, absolutely exhilarating. Um, <laughs> and and in terms of, I guess, maybe other books that I think could be good resources, I'm, I'm a big fan of you know Seth Godin's other works. Um, this is Marketing, Stories Marketers Tell, and Shoe Dog is probably one of my favorite all-time books. And that's just a memoir by, by the founder of Nike. And it just talks about his journey to building Nike over a few different decades. It's, it's a memoir, but it really reads like a novel. It's, it's really powerful and, and goes to show you how difficult entrepreneurship can be, but also how fulfilling it is. Yeah. And also, I love the startup accelerator you talked about because the mentorship that you got is something that most likely you can't get on your own, right? You can't really get access on that. I mean, it will take you a really long time to find that, especially if you don't have people in your circle that are doing this, you know, and most of the time, a lot of people really don't. We don't have family that do this. Usually you're like a sore thumb, you stick out. So having a group of people behind you that actually give you some valuable information that you need is so crucial to all of this. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's, you know, it's one of the hardest things that anybody can do. And so you need you need community and you need mentorship. And I think this is this is a great place to find it and uh, find like minded people who are going through similar challenges. Let's fast forward to about 50 years from now ish. And you're looking back at your life. What legacy would you like to leave? And what do you want to be remembered for? Absolutely. Uh, I, Debbie, I, I really think that there's a fundamental shift happening right now in education, specifically this move to online remote education. And I would love to be remembered as somebody who helped be a champion for the space, somebody who really helped uh, accelerate the innovation that's going on here. You know, I think pre-internet, colleges were an excellent place to go and learn really relevant skills that you could go and turn around and land a job. But post-internet, information has spread so quickly. Industries are evolving faster than ever before. And now college professors, they're great academics and they're great researchers, but they're no longer the people to best deliver the job training that we really need because most of them haven't been in industry or if they have, it's been so long ago that those skills aren't even relevant anymore. And so one thing, you know, we've really come to learn at virtually is that the best people who should be teaching, you know, new world skills, like Things like podcasting and how to start a podcast or how to build a YouTube following or how to break into software engineering, how to become a product manager at Google. They're not people at colleges or university. These are regular people who a lot of them are great teachers. And we're trying to empower these individuals to basically build their own online micro institutions. And I think that there's something really dramatic 
that we can do if we remove geography as a barrier to learning. We can make education 10 times more accessible and 100 times more affordable. And so that's exactly what we're doing at Virtually. Like essentially what we're building is, is the Shopify for online schools. We make it easy for anybody to run cohort-based live classes powered by Zoom. And we bring together all the essentials that anybody needs to set up their own online school. So that's things like payment processing, things like hosting live classes on Zoom, things like student management and sending out assignments and grading and outcomes and things like that. And, and you know, we hope that this will, you know, as more people begin to start these kind of micro institutions, they become real alternatives to college. And it, it you know, opens up accessibility to education and makes it more affordable. And it's just net positive for the world. I love it. And I love your company because also like as long as you can have internet, it doesn't matter where you are, right? So you can, your company could technically go into a lot of remote places and educate people, right? And there's a lot of places around the world that doesn't have access to really good education. And as long as they have an internet, they can really find that on your company site or really anywhere on the internet too. And I love that. I love, you know, educating ourselves and educating ourselves outside of, like you said, the university and really gaining that experience as well firsthand, which is so valuable. And you could create a lot of income from learning so many of these things. Yeah, totally. And and like I said, this is this is not like the online education we're used to, like the traditional format, which are, you know, these online courses where, you know, they can be valuable for learning lightweight skills. But when it comes for like meaningful job training and reskilling, it's really hard to do that on your own. And you really need mentorship. You really need in a live environment, be able to talk to your instructor, ask them questions, engage with the other students. This community cohort-based learning we found is just really powerful. There's There's some programs that are running, you know, this kind of format now, and they're doing spectacular. So I think a couple of my favorites are Rite of Passage, which is an online writing class led by David Perel. And then there's also Building Second Brain by Tiago Forte. And how these programs are hosting something like upwards of a thousand students per cohort. And these programs are earning over a million dollars per cohort as well. Um, so it's it really is jarring what these types of new programs can do for people and also uh, how profitable they can be for the instructors as well. Yeah, it's such a great idea what you have with Virtually. Now, Ish, is there anything that you're working on currently that is really exciting to you? Oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, honestly, I think um, our, our kind of six month roadmap is how do we build a next generation learning management system? And so if you've been in college recently, you're probably familiar with Blackboard or Canvas, which are these clunky learning management systems that help universities deliver a curriculum. But now what we're realizing is that there's a new era of educators coming on into the playing field. And these are people who aren't college professors. You know, they're YouTubers, they're Instagram influencers, they're people who've established themselves in industry and now just want to teach. They love teaching. And for them, these platforms like Blackboard and Canvas, they're, they're just not a good fit for what they're trying to do. And so we're really thinking about how do you reimagine learning management systems and student records uh, for these remote first programs run by small teams. And so uh, in the immediate 
uh, you know, next six months, this is what our team's focus is on is really figuring out how do we create a, just a really powerful product that uh, solves, solves a business problem for these folks. That sounds really exciting. And we can't wait to see more of what you're going to be doing with that. So Ish, if our listeners want to know more about you, where can they find you? Absolutely. So I would definitely recommend checking out our website, tryvirtually.com. If you're interested in starting one of these cohort-based live online courses, if you're interested in keeping up with myself on Twitter or or LinkedIn, uh, you can just uh, follow me at ishisdeep. And uh, our our Twitter handle is at tryvirtually. And that's also our LinkedIn handle. So yeah, give us a follow. Uh, Would uh, love to connect. Perfect. Thank you so much, Ish, for sharing with us your incredible story. And thank you again for creating this incredible platform for new forms of educators. We really appreciate it. Absolutely, Debbie. Thanks. Thanks for having me on. I hope you enjoyed this interview with Ish. Make sure to visit theoffbeatlife.com. Again, that's theoffbeatlife.com to get the extended interview where he shares how to build and scale an online platform. Hey, listeners, have you ever thought about starting your own podcast? Lucky for you, I have created a new site that will help you learn how to launch, grow, and monetize your own show. I offer one-on-one mentorship programs, and I'm launching an ebook, How to Create a Profitable Podcast, that can help you take your podcast from hobby to profitable business. Visit howtocreatepodcast.com to learn more. Again, that's howtocreatepodcast.com. See you there. Hey, listeners, thank you for listening to this episode, and I'm so thankful for your support. I would love to hear your thoughts on this episode and get suggestions on guests, topics we can discuss, and so much more. Feel free to reach out at hello at theoffbeatlife.com and let me know what you'd like to hear. If you like the show, don't forget to give us some love and review on iTunes. Thank you again for being a part of this journey, and I can't wait to hear how your location-independent story will unfold.